the right first question is, what problem are you trying to either solve or what do you need to enable for your business? Just take compliance right out of it. What do your people need to do or what does your business need to do? And oftentimes you get a much clearer answer that leads to what I always call the use case. And to your point, that leads to either you're documenting what we've agreed to, you're actually doing it, you're actually capturing and and retaining data, or you're proving it with evidence or an audit log or some sort. And oftentimes it's all three that you can present to the customer once they're clear-eyed about what they're trying to solve. Welcome to the Innovation and Compliance Podcast, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day, more profitably. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode. Today, I have with me Blaine Warren. Blaine is with Smarsh, and we're going to take a kind of a deep dive into a variety of what I think are key compliance topics around mobile and hybrid work environments. So Blaine, first of all, thank you and welcome to the podcast. Absolutely. Thanks, Tom, for having me. Blaine, could you tell us a little bit about your professional background? Certainly. I always say I grew up in financial services. I worked in the independent broker-dealer space as well as in the RIA space. After a number of years, I really wanted to start building more technology and I switched to the vendor side of the table. And right around 2010, Uh, It was quite fun working with the same people from a different context. And that's what ultimately led me to Smarsh in 2016 with an acquisition they made of a company that I worked for. Blaine, one of the reasons I was so intrigued to visit with you is I have heard a journey similar to yours from other folks in the fintech space. The compliance I grew up with was more anti-corruption compliance. And we don't have that type of journey. Typically, you start on one side or the other and you stay there. There's some crossover, but really very little. And what I find so intriguing about your space and fintech is you get the benefit of someone who is a practitioner in financial services, a customer perhaps, and then moves over to use those experiences to help drive products, create greater innovation. And and I, I don't know how to bring that type of mindset into to my people, as I call them. But we really don't have that in the ABC space. So I'm always intrigued when I can visit someone like yourself who has really been on both sides of the equation and has used both sides of the equation to inform the work you do and make either a better product or better services. So could you tell us your current role at Smarsh? Certainly, uh, Vice President of Product. And I own what we call the Capture Portfolio of Smarsh, which is all the ways that we get data for customers to get that into either one of our archives or other downstream systems. So I'd like to turn to mobility and the hybrid work environment. And one of the key things the regulators have told us literally over the past two years is when your risks change, you need to reassess those risks and manage the new risks differently. And I can't think of a bigger change than work from home, return to the office, and hybrid work environment. They present different risks. Although people seem to think, well, we're just working. How can the the risks have changed? So we're now in the hybrid work environment, and there are obviously a number of challenges associated with that environment. But I'd first like to focus on mobility. And what are the three key factors you see as compliance challenges in this environment? Ironically, it is kind of a three. It's a trio of challenges that an organization needs to solve. It 
somewhat existed before we went to this hybrid world that we're in. And now we're returning to maybe the new normal of work and travel. But they really became pronounced and visible to the market. And that is, A, the simple classic is we've handed you a device that the company owns and we want you to use that to transact business, to communicate with customers and partners. The other is one that's also not a new challenge, which is bring your own device to work. Really, you could probably credit Steve Jobs for that more than anything else. The BlackBerry made us have a corporate device and Steve Jobs made us very jealous that we didn't have an iPhone. And suddenly BYOD became a material factor. And the third really accelerated during the last two and a half years, which is consumer applications. Those three means that we can text, that we can talk and otherwise message over multiple mediums that an organization has to get their hands around, not just from a policy perspective, but to truly be convinced that they are meeting their compliance requirements with employees. I'm a lawyer by professional training, and we're taught in law school to think, read, and write, and argue in threes. So you have hit my sweet spot, and I'm going to take that and run with it, because I'd like to turn to the regulatory landscape. And this has been one of the biggest challenges for compliance professionals. So I'd like to maybe start with asking you, what are some of the, there we go, the three areas that you see around regulatory obligations and policies that compliance practitioners and indeed all business professionals need to implement in the hybrid work environment? Sure. And really the policy is number one, because it is in fact the guardrails, the frame within which we operate. So the policy says this is how we would like to operate and also remain compliant with whatever regulatory body or or multiple agencies that supervise us. Historically, you could, in some cases, use that as your main compliance anchor. And what we learned is that's not scalable and resilient when we go into a work from home, meaning the policy says you can't do X. Once we were put into this scenario where we had to make work successful from our bedroom, from our kitchen, not from an office, not with all of our normal tools, we used whatever communication medium we could to make that possible. So quickly it became apparent that while the policy is the anchor, we have to have a layer of process and technology to make that complete. So it's really your policy, how you're going to manage that data that is compliant in nature, and then how you're going to prove that you either have it from a a retention perspective or that you supervise it. So let me take that last phrase because you've talked about, or you just mentioned, prove do you have it? And I'm going to rephrase it because when I talk about compliance programs, I say these are the three most important concepts, document, document, document. You don't have it documented in the government's eyes. It never happened. And that can be your policy and procedure. That can be how you effectuate your policy as in procedure. And that can be your record storage retention or other evidence that your policies and procedures are indeed actually working effectively. So just spot on again. But the struggle that I have in talking to many folks is the regulators have made clear exactly what you said. You have to have policies and procedures. You have to retain, you have to present that information or documentation if a regulator comes knocking. But in the realm of business efficiency, mobile work tools, whether they're apps, iPhones, smartphones, or other, can be incredibly useful. So many companies struggle with what's the right balance and how do you begin to have that discussion with a client or customer? The key is finding out what they need to enable. 
one of the failed approaches is to say, let me tell you the technology that I have that you can use to be compliant. The right first question is, what problem are you trying to either solve or what do you need to enable for your business? Just take compliance right out of it. What do your people need to do or what does your business need to do? And oftentimes you get a much clearer answer that leads to what I always call the use case. And to your point, that leads to either you're documenting what we've agreed to, you're actually doing it, you're actually capturing and and retaining data, or you're proving it with evidence or an audit log or some sort. And oftentimes it's all three that you can present to the customer once they're clear-eyed about what they're trying to solve. The other reason I was intrigued to visit with you is obviously I have a very different academic and professional background. And I really wanted to explore this business question with you. And in compliance, oftentimes we will ask the following question to the business person. We want to use this agent. We want to have this product. We want to use this vendor. And the compliance professional will say, what's the use case? And so I was extraordinarily gratified when you say that's really the question to start with. Because when a compliance practitioner asks it, it's typically, you know, what's the business reason to, to use this? But the way I heard you phrase it, and frankly, I'm going to steal it, is what's the business thing you need to do? What's the business you need to do? And that's really the way for everyone to think through this, both senior execs, middle management, and compliance. So you get a special gold star when you give the title of the podcast in the text of your remarks. So special gold star. What's the use case? That is uh, just spot on. Yeah, let me turn to uh, the capture for text, email, and other communications. And this is something, I don't want to say the regulators have put us in knots, but they have serially spanked some people, fine and penalty-wise, over this. So how do you help organizations have a clear understanding of the information that needs to be retained, the circumstances a record is to be made, and how do you help them understand the need for accessibility, and then moving to archiving. Sure. And to keep the theme going, there's kind of three families of content, how you capture it. So for most business owners and stakeholders, they know the common ones, which is we've used email forever. And no matter how much we say email is going away, we're still capturing billions of messages. So email is still a very real thing. And in that family, along with email, our common core enterprise or business tools, we think Office 365, Google Workspace, Slack, Salesforce, you know, those common things that businesses buy. The beauty of that family is all of those platforms have APIs and they're by default wired for my customer is going to need this data to put in another system. So that's kind of one family that's very approachable that most customers understand. Second family, we drift into mobility. And thankfully, there's a category of mobility where those APIs are also now maturing and that carriers of the world and other mobility messaging providers quickly learned in financial services, they're going to ask for compliance. They're going to ask to solve that use case. So we talk about what it means to do that. That's a little more sophisticated and a little more specialized to get that data. The third family is kind of the universal challenge that we work through, which is there's content we want to use and there's not a natural way to get it in a uniform, resilient way. So those three families are what we spend our days and nights trying to figure out how to solve across the board. So companies, I think, are well aware of their obligations if litigation arises, holds, document holds, 
e-discovery going forward. Let me see if I can maybe push that a bit because in the financial services space, you have a different set of regulators, federal regulators, can be uh, federal or state on the bank side or even financial services. And in the anti-corruption compliance world, it's the Department of Justice and the Securities and Exchange Commission. And they may just show up at your door or send you a letter and say, we would like all documents related to X, Y, and Z. And we like that in two weeks. Whereas in litigation, you may have a little more time or a better sense that something is coming. So how do you help an organization think through the situation when that knock from the regulator comes or that letter comes? Or if we move to uh, e-discovery or just regular old litigation, if I can characterize it as that. Sure. The key is making sure you've got what you approve as a business has a path to you know, a system that could be the archive, that could be a data platform, but a way for you to get all of the data you could be asked to produce, and then a uniform way for you to set the retention on that. Because of course, as we know, the rules are never simple. So different retention for different kinds of data or different scenarios, advertising versus customer communications and so forth. We want to make sure that we have it and that the customer controls the retention so they can meet their need. Because the most important thing is when that moment strikes and they need to go in and either build a case from a discovery perspective, or they simply need to create an ad hoc search and say, I need March 1st through March 13th for this group, for this content, and I need it exported now for review to a downstream system. That needs to be ready. You need to be able to react to that because to your point, the ask could be tomorrow, next week, next month. And so we want to make sure that the data is accessible and that they can facilitate getting it out of the system. Let me pick up on that phrase, you need to be ready. Because once again, that unfortunately is not a phrase that we often hear. We do hear them talk about, well, we have a policy, we have a procedure, we have an archive, and we're going to follow that. But the point you raise of we need to be ready, can or should clients or customers actually test that? Should you prepare for that eventuality, whether it's a regulator or a litigation event? How do you help someone or how do you counsel someone on that phrase, you need to be ready. You know, a great example is even in the modern era with cloud native technology and the way that things can operate in real time, we still, as most companies do, from tabletop exercises to real world exercises, we walk through things like data breach, disaster recovery, platform outage, or restoration. We have to exercise through those just like a sports team getting ready for the game to make sure we know our roles and our response time. And I actually, in conversations with customers, will say you should search and or query your platform on a regular basis so you know how to do that. That's an easier thing for a large organization because they often have very specific operational requirements to do that daily or weekly. I think it would be hugely beneficial for a couple of times a year test for the smaller organizations that may not have that daily demand to understand, well, how would I do a sophisticated search and retrieve this great data that I've been able to capture and get it out of the system, would not hurt to do what I call a tabletop exercise, which is simulating the act of going through the event. So what are some of the ways that you and Smarsh uh, recommend to capture or archive communications such as email, text messaging, social media, or other? Sure. So the fundamentals are the easiest to solve. So email and or Business communications that are used widely, like Office 365, they're actually quite straightforward to enable. 
for a customer to make sure that they can capture all the content coming into the system. When you get down to kind of the second family that I talked about prior, so we're talking about social media communications, mobile communications, those you want to plan for because usually each of the sources that you go to has a different way to get the data. So we try to facilitate making that easier when someone needs to capture a wide set of data. What we do recommend is that it comes in on a regular frequency, such as real-time or daily. And they certainly have the ability with retention rules to not keep everything forever, which is not productive. So certain things can be kept for a finite period of time, but it ensures they don't have a blind spot on the things that they know they're using. So the things that they absolutely sanction and enable, you want to make sure you have coverage for that. Let me focus just on social media, because one of the things that has become clear to me is that if you have a breach, if you fail to follow your own policies and procedures, you certainly can be sanctioned by the regulators in the form of fine or penalty. But now the bigger danger is a reputational damage and that it can hurt your stock. It can hurt your long-term play. It can hurt a variety of things in ways that a finite fine and penalty cannot do so. So do companies finally, under, or are we at a point where they understand they need to capture social media and so that it can be reviewed so they can at least be prepared? Or are you still having what I'm going to call some basic discussions with companies on the need to capture and retain that type of material as well? I think that's become much more visible in mobile, to your point, where we're talking to customers and trying to help them understand why they would need to capture certain capabilities. So social has been quite a journey from roughly 2009, 2010 to now. It was a pretty long time horizon, but I think it became so apparent to many financial companies that they could engage that way and actually build their business and build brand and visibility, that it became treated almost like their corporate communications. So we have a lot more folks that capture and archive social in some form or fashion with us from their business. Mobility is kind of the new frontier where some very large visible fines, but also just a discomfort from a compliance perspective of, do we really have our bases covered? Everybody has a phone in their hand and they're working from anywhere. Are we really covering our bases and ensuring that we're in a compliant posture? Let me turn to apps that cannot be archived, such as iMessaging. And when I see the regulators vary in knots, it's always around these types of apps. And we've had some significant fines and penalties around this. And this is not where a situation where something was found to have been illegal conduct. It was simply that the messages disappeared and the regulators said, that's it, uh, immediate fine and penalty. So how do you recommend the disabling of such apps? Or is that a discussion that you continue to have? No, we get asked that a lot. That's a very important conversation. It applies uh, when we're talking about texting or things like iMessage. It also applies to what we call RCS from Google, which is rich communications, kind of the next generation of text. And how we counsel customers, because we speak to both Google and Apple about this, they have very tight ties in the carriers and we spend time with those solutions engineers from Apple, is that until the day that Apple sanctions, for example, an approved way to get data from iMessage, they have a business program called the Apple Business Program that enables customers to disable iMessages, but still retain the ability for regular texting, whether it's group text or sending pictures or videos or otherwise. And that's something that can be done at the account level at the carrier, which reduces a lot of complexity. It's not like someone can slide it back on to have some covert communication. So 
with a corporate device, you can disable it on both sides, Android and iPhone, and address that need. They approach it differently, Google and Apple, but the same outcome to enable organizations to do that. Where the dynamic changes is with the bring your own device. And that is where many organizations will go to a provider that adds an app that has its own phone number that goes on my personal device that I use for Smarsh, which is my personal iPhone. I also have a Smarsh number, and that's where I transact phone calls and business from for Smarsh, and they can supervise it without seeing the rest of my phone. And that's an important aspect for what we call the BYOD or bring your own device site. And that really segues into what I wanted to explore next with you, particularly in the context of privacy and security. I think what I heard you describe was containerization. And I was wondering if you could really expand on that. And once again, is this a conversation you're having with clients, with customers? Is it something they're beginning to understand? Because I see a lot of regulatory push around this issue. It's a big deal. I mean, it's right to ask about it because containerization and kind of mobile device management, even with the BYOD device, is not limited to just the largest companies in the world. There's many tools that you can use in a small organization to just simply deliver apps that you need each employee to have so that they can use those apps and they can be added and removed safely without touching the phone. So the privacy wall is, we're going to give you these three apps in this container. You can use those, we can manage those, but we're not looking at your personal email, your texting, or your other use of your personal device. That's critical just from a standard norms, but it's also even more critical when we start thinking about GDPR or the various privacy laws that are emerging in the United States that are similar to GDPR. Could you detail for us some of the key policies you've advocated for monitoring encryption and employee use of BYOD? Sure. The common one is to put an app with a phone number on the phone because it immediately creates kind of a comfort layer between employee and company. And it's really for both sides. You know, I know that I can use my phone and make phone calls however I wish. But when I open the container, I open the app on my phone, I'm doing business. And Smarsh, you know, has the right to supervise and manage that. And what's amazing now with technology, of course, makes this so much more straightforward because you can literally just get rid of that app without damaging the phone. In the old days, it was a little tougher. If we go back 10, 15 years, this was a real challenge. And I think that's what has helped perpetuate BYOD is the comfort of, I can give my employee a container they need to work, and I don't have to infringe upon the rest of their device. We talked at some length throughout this podcast about the regulatory aspect and potential regulators fine, but what about mobile data leakage? And this could lead to, once again, a category of damages, not fine or penalty, but could be as great. So how do you uh, help counsel or help a client or company understand that concept? It goes back to those use cases again, corporate devices, it's cut and dry. We can monitor those, meaning we, the organization, the organization owns the data and they're able to see everything on a corporate device. And that goes to things like data leakage or ethical walls, if they're trying to create frameworks within which employees can operate. When you go to BYOD, you want that container to be reliable. It should support mobility tools and things like single sign-on so that the employee understands the difference between their phone in this container. And then the third is actually the policies and the tools you use to handle consumer apps, because we again see that movement to WhatsApp, WeChat, Signal, Telegram. You need to have an answer for that as well to enable an employee to have a business use of that app on their device that can be supervised, 
that's separate from their personal, which you would, of course, never want to link up to business connectivity. So I think I now know the answer to the next question I wanted to pose to you, because it seems like it's going to be, what's the use case? But how do organizations determine which tools they should be allowing? There's a couple of mixes, and it can actually be geo-specific. So the best example I can give you is there are organizations that might have a strong footprint in the U.S., and they're handing out name the carrier, AT&T, T-Mobile, Verizon, et cetera. They're handing out devices. Here's your corporate phone. In, in Europe, they may be using WhatsApp business. And in Asia, they may be using WeChat or Telegram. So based on understanding what they're trying to solve, how they communicate, and what models they support, the larger the organization, you usually go from one use case to two to all three, depending on the size of the organization. And that discussion helps us basically enable us to say to them, here is the way you solve these use cases. And ultimately, you want them in a single pane of glass from a compliance perspective. You want to know that you can retain that data, even if you get it different ways. And you want to be able to view it in a common context and not in three separate silos. One of the things about some of the recent enforcement actions have been tools that individual employees were using that were either prohibited by their company policies or not approved, but their managers or senior execs didn't know the employees were using them. So how do you advocate companies ensure their employees both know which tools are approved and then more importantly, ensure that they're not using them? There's a little bit of work for an organization to do that, right? Especially in the, in the modern era with hybrid. It starts with what you are going to sanction. So your policies enable you to say, here's all of the communications mediums and, and methods that we empower you with, train you on, and equip you with is one layer. Their policy has to also have the don't list or the no list, which is these are things we cannot do, whether they say we cannot do them at this time until we have a solution, or we simply won't use these or sanction these. That's kind of step one. But as we've seen from recent regulatory rulings, you're going to have to test and audit that. You're going to have to do some sampling. And it's not as simple as just data. You really do have to do some homework and some internal education to be able to figure out what employees are trying to do to enable business. So again, I don't think this is surreptitious behavior. It's more for every bad apple, there's 100,000 people just trying to do their job better. And I think that's where companies have to balance is we've empowered you to do X, don't do Y, and Z is how do we make sure X and Y are happening? So one of the things... I have observed in the compliance world is when the government speaks either through an announcement or an enforcement action, that tends to get attention and that will incentivize or move companies to better enforce policies. Is that something uh, you are seeing in your space as well? Yeah, I mean, certainly the organizations talk to each other in financial services. So they absolutely, how are you solving this? You know, even they could be fierce competitors, but those CIOs and CTOs are getting together and going, how in the heck are you solving this? Because we have the same problem. They really do compare notes. And oftentimes they're using different organizations to solve it, trying to figure out who does it best. And so that's, again, why we always start with the business problem, because you, you can't always be selling from that perspective. You have to be able to also be counseling, right? Be giving some guidance on how to get things done. So that's key to getting them in a position to be able to react so that when that federal notice comes out based on risk 
or when a regulator comes out with guidance or new recommendations or policy, or worse, when they come out with a, a shot her and round the world fine, that's a very big triggering action for organizations to do that quick inspection. Well, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I was wondering if our listeners wanted any more information on yourself, the topics we've talked all about, or SMARSH, what would be the best way for them to find out? A great way to start is the website because it's very broad and wide as to what the topics we've been talking about. But I'd also encourage you either take a look at the SMARSH LinkedIn or even snag me on LinkedIn and we'll be able to catch up and answer some questions if there are any. Well, Blaine, I wanted to thank you. This has been an incredibly informative podcast and I look forward to continuing this conversation. Thanks so much, Tom. If you want to stay up to date on the latest innovations in compliance and help your business run more efficiently, subscribe to this podcast and help spread the word by leaving a review.